Yeah, right. One or two. Oh, man. Well, this morning is going to be kind of short and sweet. Um, we, what we read earlier from Matthew chapter 2, there is a, just a really simple message going on in this passage. There's a couple of things that are worth looking at and kind of interesting things, but the, the message is clear and it is simple. There, Jesus has been born, and there are two responses to that, right? There's the response of Herod, which is to respond in fear and violence and like trying to stop this from happening. And then there is the, the response of the Magi, which is to fall at his feet and worship. So this morning, that is the question for all of us, right? The reality, the truth is that Jesus has come and he has been born. And so the question for each of us is, how are we going to respond to that? Do we go to the feet of Jesus and worship him and fall down? Or do we react in fear? Do we react in anger? Do we think that he is something that he's not? Um, and so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, so I think the first thing to see then is it, it, it's, it's an interesting. So I don't know what translation you're looking at, but some, some say wise men, some say magi, right? It depends on what, you, what version you have. Um, but the word is very clearly like it's this Persian word. It is Persian wise men, um, which is a weird thing that Persians would be the ones to know that Jesus has been born, that God would present the star to people outside of Judah, like outside of Israel, that they would come and that they would recognize the signs and know that he has come and know that he's been born. So it's been suggested, and I think it's, it, it is a suggestion, but I think that it is, it's not too far off. Like, I don't think we have to stretch our imagination too much to recognize and to realize that these Persian wise men have come because merely 600 years before we have a man named Daniel, right? So Daniel has been, is part of the exile. What does he do? He's brought to Babylon. He's brought to Persia and he goes there and he is a witness to all of those around him. Right? All of us, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Daniel. Like, we love the first half of Daniel because those stories are great, right? The, 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 the furnace and the lion's den, and we read those, and, man, we're all about it. But then when it gets to the weird part, the second half, all of the prophecies and all the visions, that we kind of like, well, I don't know what in the world is going on here. But Daniel has a vision of the coming of man. And he preaches and teaches that vision while he is in Persia. He, he tells the people that he is around, these are the signs of the coming Messiah. 600 years before it ever happens. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 2, and we see the wise men, we see the magi coming from there, it's not a stretch to say that Daniel's influence lasted in Persia, and that wise men understood the teachings that he had, and knew the signs of the coming of Christ. And they were willing to follow it. I mean... Have you ever thought about that, right? That a star appears to them and they're willing to travel 500 miles to go to a place where, God, where, where they're being told that the, that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, who is not a part of who they are at all, has come. Now, there's a lot of things to see in there, right? There's a lot of different rabbit trails we can take. I don't want to take them all. There. But, I mean, just the fact that God is appearing to people outside of Israel. Right? He, he, I mean... Multiple different times we read in scripture, Jesus says, look, I came to you and you would not receive me. So I have gone to the rest, right? He says, I would have, he goes, oh, Jerusalem, you're stoning and you're killing the prophets who've been sent to you. I would have gathered you under my wing, but you wouldn't do it. He says, the people of Israel, for one reason or another, as a, as a widespread idea, they have been calloused 
to who God is in a lot of different ways. And so you have these men coming from outside of the country, right? From, from outside of Israel, coming, recognizing the sign. And they're coming because, possibly because they understood what Daniel taught so many years ago. And let me just say this too. Moms, especially, especially moms, right? Moms, how many of you who are at home teaching your kids, showing them, telling them about Jesus, sharing the gospel, get a little bit like, what, what exactly am I accomplishing here? There's a temptation to think, I should be doing something bigger or greater. Or what. Think about the fact that you, you have no idea what, it, what God is doing with your children. If this is true, if these magi come from Persia because they heard Daniel preaching 600 years before. I mean, do you really think that Daniel had that in his mind? That in 600 years when the Messiah comes, these things that I'm saying is going to make an impact. Parents, teaching your children... It may not look like it now. I mean, just think about some of the great evangelists. That we have. Do you really think that Billy Graham's mom, when he was six years old, was thinking, I'm teaching my son the gospel because I know one day he's going to preach to thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people heard Billy Graham and accepted Christ at one of his crusades. I don't think that's an exaggeration to say that it was probably in the millions. Do you think that his mom, when he was six years old, or when he was a kid, that his grandmother, who was telling him the gospel, was thinking, ah, he's going to do great things? Right? We, we don't know. And so the, the idea being, preach the gospel to your kids, teach them that, because you have no idea what God is doing. And you may never see it. It may be 600 years. It may be 12 generations from now. But because you're faithful today, the message of the gospel may go forward. Daniel preached 600 years before, and now we have Magi coming from Persia, recognizing the signs of God, coming with the, with the hope, with the intention of coming to worship the king. Now, once again, right, they travel 500 miles. For us, that's a little bit daunting. We're like, man, that'll take like all day in my car. I, I, I have no idea how long it takes to do that on a camel. Right? I've, never, I've never had to do anything like that, but it's probably a big sacrifice. Right? For them to travel all of that, for them to bring all of the supplies they need, all of the things that they need to travel from Persia to come and find Jesus. Right? Once again, this is a really obvious application. Christ tells us to follow after him is to take up his cross. It's not easy to follow Jesus. Right? There's a lot of sacrifice that has to be made. These magi make a huge sacrifice. Not only are they traveling that far, but they're doing it you know, all day, all night, whatever that looked like. I don't know when they're traveling, but... They're, they're going through wildernesses, right? They're, they're crossing country lines. I mean, there, there is, there's a lot of prejudice that happens in, the, in this time of the world, right? You don't just get to go from one country to the next. There's no passports, none of those things, right? It was dangerous for them to do this, and yet they do it. They make the sacrifice. Why? Because they see the star. They know what it means. They know that Christ has come, and they have the proper response. Christ has come. We are going to go and worship him. Whatever it costs, no matter what gets in our way, we're going to find him and we're going to go and bow down and we're going to worship him. And so he comes. And what's really interesting to me is that he comes to Jerusalem. The chief priests, the scribes are there, but they're not looking for him. So either... 
God only reveals to the magi, to the shepherds, to some of those people. Or the chief priests are so consumed with themselves and their laws that they have made up that they have missed the fact that Christ has come. There's a lot of things that we can take away from that as well, right? Christ comes as a humble, lowly servant being born in a manger, right? He's not being born in a hotel. He's not being born into luxury. He's not being born into political power or military power or any of those things that the Jews were expecting. He comes lowly, and so God reveals himself to the lowly. But here's a really interesting statement that happens. See, I think it's in verse 3, right? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. So the Magi have come, they come to Herod, they ask him, where is he born? Where is the king of the Jews, right? We've come to find him and to worship him. And Herod is troubled, and all of Jerusalem is troubled by the fact that they have come, by the fact that the Messiah has been born. Now, think about this. If you were living in Jerusalem, right, you're just a... You're a Jewish person, right? You're, you're not, you have no power, you have no authority, and all of a sudden people from outside of Israel come and say, hey, your Messiah has been born and we're trying to find him. Like, wouldn't you be a little upset? What, why haven't we heard about this? Our chief priests, our scribes who know the Old Testament really well, they know all the prophecies, why haven't they been telling us this? And so everybody is sort of upset by this to some degree. And the chief priests, they've missed it, right? They are the spiritual authority. I mean, it would be, I don't even know whether, I don't think there is a good comparison. But let's just say some massive miracle happened, let's say within the Roman Catholic Church, and the Pope just missed it. He's not paying attention. He's so, con he's so consumed with what he's doing in the Vatican that he just misses a huge thing that happens within their church, and then multiply that by like a billion or something. I mean, they have missed the thing that they've been waiting for, right? Last week, we looked through the whole, I mean, not the whole, but most of the Old Testament, right? And we looked at all of generation after generation who are looking forward to the Messiah, who are expecting the Messiah to come, and they're waiting for it. And then when he comes, the chief priests and the scribes, they miss it completely. They know the answer, though. It's almost like they've memorized their Bible, but they, don't, but they don't know how to apply this thing out practically. Because as soon as Herod asks them the question, man, they give the answer. It's the right answer. It's not like they're confused. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For, you shall come, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Magi come, they ask Herod. Herod doesn't know, he asks the scribes. They give the right answer. They know where he's supposed to come from. Now even if, even if this star is only for the Magi, even if the scribes and the chief priests, right, even if they can't see it and, they're the, and these are the only ones, like if, if they were paying attention, they probably would have heard rumors about Say, a woman who is going around telling people that she is pregnant but is a virgin. Isaiah, chapter 7, prophesies that that is going to happen, right? That he will be born of a virgin. 
They should know. Even if they haven't met Mary, they probably heard the rumors if they were paying attention. And so the whole point, right, this whole idea is that the people who should know best don't. And, and so God is revealing himself to those who, aren't, who, who are paying attention. Spurgeon said this. I read a sermon, you know, based off of these verses. And in good Spurgeon fashion, he says things way better than I could ever imagine. He says, remember, the omnipotence has servants everywhere. So we know that we know the phrase, look, if we if we won't worship, the rocks will cry out. Right. He said that in very elegant terms. Right. The omnipotence, the, the servants of omnipotence are everywhere. If the chief priests and the scribes are so unaware of what is happening They don't see the Messiah coming. They don't see the signs. God will find somebody who will go. Even if it's lowly shepherds in the field. Even if it's people from another country who have to travel halfway across the world at that time, right, to be there. God's going to find somebody who will come and worship his son being born. Now, once again, you might say, well, this is a little bit of foreshadowing. John 1, 11, Jesus came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. That idea that I mentioned earlier, right, that he comes to Jerusalem and he says, I would gather you under my wing, but they won't listen and they won't do it. Jesus comes for his chosen people and they reject him. And he opens his message to the world, right? Um, Jesus at least the way that he describes it, the way that I understand it, is that he came for Israel specifically. And they won't listen to him. And he opens that up to everybody. And this is happening even before he is born, right? Even in his birth, the people who should know best, who should be there worshiping him, don't do it. I mean, do the chief priests and the scribes go with the Magi? Do they go when the Magi find out, oh, he's in Bethlehem? The star reappears. They follow that to to where Jesus has been born. Nobody goes with them. None of these Jewish leaders, none none of the people who are in charge of the spiritual health of all of Israel, none of them go. They can't be bothered. I don't know. We don't get any, right? We don't get a reason. We just see what happens. And so God is calling people from outside. Now, when the Magi show up, they tell Herod what they're doing. And he responds in fear. Verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly. He ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. That's a lie, right? We didn't read the whole chapter, but we know what happens. When the wise men don't go back to Herod, what does he do? He kills every newborn boy in Bethlehem. Why? We go back to the quote again. What is the Messiah come to do? For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod hears this, he hears uprising. 
he hears there's somebody who's going to be born who is going to come and take over this area, right, that Rome has given him to rule over, which is mainly foreign people. It's mainly Jewish people. And he hears this message about who Jesus is. And because he doesn't understand what Jesus has come to do, he responds in fear. He responds in violence. And this is true in the world that we live in. So many people think that they know who Jesus is. Oh, I'm not, I have no interest in Christianity because all that does, all, all, its only purpose is to beat you down and to judge you and to make you feel bad about yourself and all of these things and to keep you in line and all of the things that it's not. Every other world religion, that's what they're trying to do. They have their list of rules that you have to follow if you're going to get into heaven. You have to do these things, and you have to avoid doing these things. And if you do them, they come down on you with a hammer, right? They come, on, they come down on you hard if you disobey. But Christianity is the opposite. We say, look, we've, we're all guilty of doing all of those things. Jesus did not come to judge and to, to destroy us. He came to save us. But Herod doesn't know that. He doesn't understand who Jesus is, and that's why he responds the way that he does. Now the Magi know who Jesus is. They know why he has come, and they respond appropriately. But given the information they need, they go and they find him, and they fall down, and they worship him. They give him gifts, right? A lot of the times we think is the wise men is only three because there's only three gifts. I don't know how many of these guys there were, right? A lot. I, I don't know. Maybe there were only three. But however many were, there, there were, they come and they fall down. They worship Jesus. They give him gifts. And then instead of going back, right, instead of they listen to God and they listen to the warning and they do what God has called them to do. And so once again we see that following Christ, that going to him and worshiping him is a dangerous thing to do. In the world in which we live, most of the time our lives are not threatened in the country that we live in. But there are many, many, many places in the world where your life is at risk. Your freedom is at risk. It may not be too long before that is true in our country, right? That we will lose part of who our freedom as American because we believe in Christ. And so the question, once again for you this morning is, are you going to run away from him in fear? Are you going to run to him and worship? The reality is that Christ has come. And so my question to you again this morning is, what is your response? If you're here this morning and you think, well, I think I know who Jesus is. I've heard from other people. I've heard from, you know, whatever. You get it from TV shows. You get it from the pop culture around you. You get it from people. You might have a wrong idea. You might not really understand who he is. And so do, do you recoil from the name of Jesus because you suspect him to be this harsh taskmaster who is always on you who is always trying to make sure that you're doing the right thing because that's the only way in which you can be saved once again this is the message of all the other world religions but it's not our message 
But we should respond the way the Magi do. We should respond by finding Christ, right? By finding who out who he is, by going to him, and by worshiping him. So Christ has come. This is the reality. This is real. This is what is true. I implore you. I encourage you. Seek him out. Go and fall down and worship before him. Before him. I don't know what your response has been in the past. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you think about who he is. But there is, it doesn't matter what you used to think about him. It doesn't matter what you believed about him before this moment. If you had the wrong idea, I'm telling you that who, who he is is a loving and kind and merciful God who wants to, who wants to save you. He has, he has lived and died and gone to the cross to be a sacrifice for our sins. He came to this world to bring salvation to everyone who believes in him. He didn't come to hurt you or to harm you or to be that taskmaster. He came as a loving savior. So it doesn't matter what you thought about him before. This is what is true about who Christ is. And there is never a better time than right now, this morning, to do the very thing that we saw these magi do, right? See, you don't have to go and find him in a manger. He is here in this room. He is all around us. He exists in our reality. If you want to find Jesus and bow down and worship him, you can do that right here this morning. No matter where, no matter what you have thought about him before, the truth is that he is a loving and kind savior. And I implore you, worship him. If you have been running away from him your entire life, stop doing that. He is not worthy of our fear, at least in that sense, right? He's worthy of our reverence, and we, and we fear him because of his holiness, but he is a loving God. He is inviting you to come and to worship him this morning. So if you have spent your life running from him, don't do it any longer. Now is the time. Bow down before him instead of running away. Bow before him and worship him. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I love your word. I love that in a seemingly just short passage where it looks like we just have a few events unfolding, Lord, there is a deep and abiding and important truth. Father, your son has come. And there are two responses to that. Lord, I, I ask that if there is fear in the hearts of anyone here this morning, that when they hear the name of Jesus, they're afraid of who he is or they're afraid of what it means to believe in him. Father, that you would banish that fear. That they would see Christ for who he is. And they would bow down this very morning and worship him. Father, for those of us who you, we have been worshiping Jesus for many, many years... God, I am so grateful that you have granted faith, that you have given us this ability, that we don't have fear, that for us who call on the name of the Lord, Lord, that, that even when things get really hard and even when there are challenges and even when there are things and sacrifices that have to be made, that we are still running to Christ 
to worship him every day. Lord, the temptation is always there. That the cost is too much. The trip is too long. The danger is too great. Father, help us to keep our eyes on Christ. Help us to always seek to worship him no matter what it costs. We love you. And we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for for Christmas, for this time of year, that we are reminded of this, that Christ has come, that he has died as a sacrifice for our sins, and that he has been resurrected, and that we can have life and forgiveness in him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.